Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Prod presented by Prefab Review, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry. Today, we're speaking with Patrick Quinton, the founder and CEO of Dweller out of, I think, Portland, Oregon. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks, Michael. It's good to be here. Um, So definitely excited to learn about your company. But first, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you and how did you get into this business? Yeah, no, happy to happy to share the story. So yeah, we are based in Portland, Oregon. And um, uh, prior to founding Dweller, I was, um, I served as the executive director of what's now known as Prosper Portland, but it was, it is the, the uh, development authority for the city of Portland. So um, an arm of city government. And, uh, you know, I have a career that's been primarily in government, a little bit on the, on the, uh, commercial finance side, but, but really, um, spent the, the time prior to, to starting Dweller in, in city government, working on a whole range of, of issues, but, you know, really on this, this intersection between, you know, business development, commercial real estate development and housing. And, uh, I left there mid 2016 looking to, you know, take on new adventures, did not, uh, I think I was going to be uh, working in the ADU industry, but um, I actually have a, have a co-founder, a business partner, who uh, approached me about this idea, and uh, and yeah, we we uh, 2017 we we took the leap to um, to see if we could you know help help get more ADUs built both here and around the country. Cool. Um, and so, can you just go through a little bit of like what exactly does Dweller do? We we've covered a lot of prefab companies and yeah. ADU companies on our site, and also even within the ADU companies, it's always a little bit kind of interesting what parts companies decide to like do for themselves versus like rely on other partners to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's some similarities and some differences uh, with what we do in some other companies, but you know, we started off to try and address. Uh, what we see as the primary challenges for homeowners in in acquiring an ADU, and we we felt like those were, you know, kind of three things: price, um, just overall kind of hassle factor, and financing. Um, and on the on the on the first two, we really felt like the the best way to address that was to embrace prefab construction and offer a turnkey service, meaning you buy an ADU like you buy some other major consumer product. And I think that can have different connotations. We think it's a good thing. We think that, you know, that, that homeowners should have options and, and, and shouldn't have to learn what goes on under the hood uh, to get an ADU. We think they should be able to, 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 to pick a solution. And if they choose not to, not really have to roll their sleeves up. So we, we do the full, the full process from beginning to end. Um, and, we work with a third party builder. So we don't, we don't operate a factory. We're more of a developer kind of solutions provider. And then, and then we source our prefab ADUs from a, from a third party builder. So in that respect, I think there's other folks doing that. People, like you said, there's people, there's companies that do different parts of the full solution. But I do think that increasingly we're seeing more and more companies that are stepping up to say, we're, you know, we sell an ADU solution and homeowners really, you know, shouldn't, you know, like I said, shouldn't have to have to, should, should be looking at different options rather than trying to, to, to learn how to, how to build an ADU themselves. 
And then the other thing that we did, which we can get into in a minute, but I'll just quickly say is that we wanted to address the financing issue. We wanted to be able to serve homeowners who didn't have you know, immediate access to financing, which is primarily home equity financing. And so, yeah. so we de- we've developed a portfolio of ADUs under a, a, a ground lease model. Like I said, we'll talk about it in a second, but yeah. we build it for them and we own it. So, so in that respect, uh, when we're doing that, there are very few companies anywhere in the U S that are doing that. And so, you know, that's certainly a, um, a unique offering of ours and one that we hope to do more of. That makes sense. Um, and what, uh, what, uh, like does you, what ADUs are you actually offering from, a like you, you talked about having like a limited number of options yeah. intentionally. Yeah. Do you, are you like a, right? Like, uh, are you like a, a one skew company where it's like, okay, everyone gets the same thing. Do you have a few options? How does that work? Yeah, we, we started off with the, with the, with the one ADU model, but we, we now offer six different floor plans um, uh, from our, you know, our, our builder and, and it's, it's uh, one and mostly one bedroom units, but we also offer two bedroom unit. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've embraced um, standardization as part of our business model in that, we, in order to bring costs down, make costs more predictable for the homeowner and, and for us, you know, that it's, we wanted to have, you know, um, take away as much kind of customization as possible. You know, all these terms are loaded when I say them, but we, we, we don't think it's a bad thing. We think it's, you know, yeah. it's, like, it's like buying a car, right? You know, you don't get to, to add another window, but you can change the color of the upholstery, right? So, yeah, so we think of it that way. So we have six different, different floor plans and, and, you know, there are, um, in the markets, you know, in, out here on the West coast, you can have bigger ADUs legally than we than we sell. You can have two story ADUs. Obviously you can do all sorts of things. And so we've intentionally chosen not to be operating in those parts of the market. Once again, just because we, we think the way we do business is best if we, if we keep our options to, to a narrow range of single story ADUs of a certain dimension. It makes installation predictable and, and affordable once again. So the, yeah, so, that, so that's, that's kind of our product. Yeah, I, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we, so we I forgot how many customers we helped last month, but yeah, I mean, right. Like there's a heterogeneous set of customers and as you said, right. Some want to work with a custom architect and design everything from scratch and a lot <laughs> right say like how quickly can you get this box on my lawn um, and, yeah so. and, and those decisions also have price trade-offs and so absolutely yeah so you also you know not that you know everybody would love to have fully customized but once again i think people get this that if they're on a budget and they have yeah. a very kind of you know and honestly we see a lot of people who are just like i don't like this is not this is not something i want to spend a lot of time right, right. like yeah. considering which faucet is better right like i want to like um you know someone who's thoughtful to have made these decisions for me yeah. and for this thing to get done uh so yeah i, I think that makes sense um so it, are you you're 100 percent in portland right now we're 100 percent in portland yes okay and um i think at some point Correct me if I'm wrong. I know we, I think we covered you. Uh, were you using champion homes or were you using a different? Were yeah. You using yes, we were, we've, we've been working almost exclusively with what's now called Skyline Champion. Skyline, right, right. It's um, like, like, it's just like the entity. That's like the, they're like, yeah, 
that's the company. Like a, a and public companies doing mergers and stuff, right? Yeah, they uh, have like thirty plus factories across the country, and we have we have a we source ours out of their um, factory in, in Western Idaho. Cool. Um, and tell me, tell me a little bit, bit about that because, uh, like, in terms of the, I don't know if we'd call it like the the let's just call it the partner process. Sort of figuring out, right? Like, what company or set of companies do you want to partner with? Who handles the sort of right the manufacturing and of yeah. uh, the uh, the home? How did how did you choose them? And what was that process like? Yeah, I mean. Um... Some of it was was um, you know trying to look for certain certain type of builder, but some of it's just you know the fit and the relationships. So um, you know we wanted to actually be more local than than we than even with um, uh, you know Champions Idaho factory we wanted to be somewhere in Oregon, um, and we had a relationship with a local builder. But you know uh, prefab, as you know, probably more than anyone else, it can it covers a wide range of things. And you have a lot of custom prefab builders. And so we were working with a very reputable uh, builder, but he wasn't getting into the standardization piece. And so, and so we were increasingly realizing that we weren't going to be able to offer the right, right. Kind of, the kind of solution we wanted. And so we went looking for other, uh, other solutions and just a, a relationship that, that my business partner, Brian had with somebody in the, in the, you know, in the, in the lumber industry put us in touch with the, the, the plant manager at this, this champion factory and, and presented it to us. And, and we the first, to my knowledge, were the first company to work with champion on, on, on uh, building ADUs, uh, champions of manufactured housing builder. They've right. focused primarily on single family houses and they now have an ADU offering and they now work with a number of ADU builders, but we, we brought the concept to them and they fit, but you know, both, Obviously, capacity-wise, they had more than enough capacity for us, but they also fit the the desire we had, which was they already had a standardized process for building them. Right, they already had the economies. Yeah, so so they were like, sure, we can we can build your we can build ten, fifteen, a hundred of yours in the same exact way. And so immediately we were like, this is this works. And and I have to say, like they they didn't have to work with us. You know, we're tiny little company right, in really Portland. Nice. They're a big massive company, but you know, there's good people at, at this Idaho plant who, who, who were really curious about this market. And so they kind of went along with us and it's, it's been a, it's been a great relationship. Um, I don't know that we will exclusively sell from champion uh, uh, going forward just because we do want to be able, there's other builders now. And so we would like to be able to offer different designs, but, so far, it's been a good relationship. That's great. Um, and then um, from the so obviously that's that's one part of the process. How have you got so it's because you're covering the whole thing? How have you gone about figuring out the local builder part, right? Because Champions yeah. only the factory. Yeah. Right? yeah, I mean that's that's been, um, been 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 part of the challenge. I think it's certainly certainly um, probably the hardest part of the overall process for companies like ours is to have some consistency on what I call the last mile, but what happens on every individual property. And so, yeah, we just partnered with a variety of contractors and, um, you know, our goal all along has been to work with the same exact contractors every time so that we do once again, have the same process and that the learnings 
from one project carryover to the next and so on. And, um, and so we've done that um, for some of our contractors, but just by, you know, we don't control what happens on their business. And so we've had, we've had one of our main contractors to do this, decide that they no longer wanted to, to be in the business. And so we've had to find others. So, you know, you're always juggling different contractors, but, you know, we, we, we view that as our job, you know, like that's partly what we're taking away from the homeowner is, you don't have to go find contractors and, right. and, totally. and, and, and markets like ours where there is a high demand, you know, being having a, a group of contractors that you're, really, yeah, they're, they're also very hard to evaluate. <laughs> yeah, but, and so, but, so we bring it, so that's part of what we, we sell is look, we have relationships with folks that may not otherwise be available to you or another builder. So, so, but, but every backyard is unique. So I really, you know, that, I think that's, that's one of the hurdles to overcome in the ADU market is how do you how do you scale this, build thousands of units, and knowing that every single backyard is going to present a particular challenge um, and fit, you know, do that in a in a predictable kind of cost effective way. Right, that makes sense. Um, and uh, and then uh, yeah, and to the extent that you can share this, what scale are you at right now? Like how many, yeah, I will, however, however you choose to quantify that. Yeah. So we've, we've built 15 units um, and, you know, we build a, a couple of units a month now. That's really kind of the pace we're on, but that fluctuates based on, you know, once again, financing and, and, and those, you know, home, homeowner financing. Um, I do, you know, part of what we're going to talk about is this ground lease product, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is, um, you know, meant to be a new portfolio of ADUs. So, so yeah, if, if, if we are able to finance that. that, then we'll, you know, then we'll do eight ADUs all at one time. So that's, you know, so, so our, you know, our volume is based in part on our ability to finance this ground lease product. Cool. So, so, but what you're saying though is, so, so that's the, the premise behind that is that like you have demand from homeowners who essentially can't afford the upfront cost of this but want to do this so yeah you're, you're is, is right like that's that, that's the assumption right or, we probably get you know 30 to 40 inquiries from homeowners every month um you know we probably end up with uh, i don't know 10 10 of those are have have are, have both real interest in properties that um that work for our product yeah. and and then um you know, most of them get hung up on the on the financing um, challenge. So, so that's really where I think most of the ADU industry is: is that every builder is um, dealing with, um, uh, you know, some other. You know, it's a black box. Somebody else is over there making decisions about about how much money they can lend to 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 a homeowner, and in most cases, it comes back short of what homeowners need. And, and, and also, you know, we, because we sell a standardized product that's meant to be affordable for homeowners, we're, we are, our target market are people who don't, who aren't sitting on a ton of money. Right. And what's your so, price point for the actual, the, the uh, actual. Our uh, units range between on the smallest end, 115,000 fully installed to, you know, our two bedroom units can go, can be over 160,000 fully installed. And that's, and that's for what, like a thousand square feet? Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, the the smallest one is just under four hundred square feet. The largest is six hundred and sixty square feet. So okay, okay, so it's like one sixty. Okay, and that that includes installation. Yeah, that's that is everything. So we always 
quote prices that way, um, meaning we don't want like we don't leave a chunk of work for the homeowner to do. Right, right. That's pretty good. Two fifty yeah. square foot's yeah. pretty very competitive. Um, okay, so so let's let's dive into this. So uh, for everyone listening who is just interested in the prefab part of this and doesn't care about the investment part, maybe you'll like this, maybe you won't. But uh, I started as a real estate investor, and I um, I recognize that what Patrick and you know, there's a couple other companies. I think United Dwelling in LA is one. There are a couple of other people who are taking on some version of this, which is addressing this affordability issue. Um, what Patrick's doing, which I don't know very much about, so <laughs> we're going to all learn together, is they're doing this through what what's it, 506, uh, is it 506C? Um, or they, yeah, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, we're, they're, we're, they're doing it basically through a general solicitation, which means retail investors can put money into this, which is super cool. Right. Yeah. Um, though also an interesting decision that I'm interested in understanding why, why you decided to go about that way. But it means that, like, basically investors can potentially help get a return by helping. Patrick's company build these things and helping homeowners afford these things. And I guess ideally this is a good thing for the world because as Patrick said, there are people who want to do this, but don't necessarily have the best financing solution to figure this out. Um, right. And provide more affordable right. housing as well. All right. So anyway, so that's about all I know about this. So it'd be great to understand exactly what your offering is. Um, like, yeah. What, like sort of right this sort of has to as i said be a win-win-win right yeah. has to make sense for the homeowner for you and for uh for me or whoever the uh, investor is so can, can you sort of yeah uh, kind of just run, run us through the basics yeah let me let me just let me, let me go back real quick again and just and just kind of talk about how how we end up developing adus um that we own because that's that's what we're asking people to invest in yeah so once again as I just described, many homeowners, you know, end up not having the financing to buy an ADU. And so if you're not in a position to make them a loan, uh, and there's a whole another discussion about why it's so hard to, to finance ADUs, then you, you really are, you kind of have to pursue a different route. And one of the, and what, so what we've chosen to do is, is <clears throat> to basically build the ADU ourselves with our with with our own capital and then on somebody's property and then we own the ADU so we we own it we manage it we rent it out and then we share a percentage of the rent back to the homeowner and then the homeowner can buy us out at some point in the future and and in legal terms what we're doing is we're we're we're, we're leasing a part of their property it's called a ground lease so we're basically saying we're gonna we're gonna lease the back third of your property that you're not using, and then by doing so, we then have the ability to do this ADU, um, and um, and every month you're gonna get a check from us that's a, that's you know three four hundred dollars, and that's based on how much rent we collect, but it's really our our lease payment to you, and then when you're ready, three five whatever ten years from now. When you're when the financing works for you, you can you can buy the ADU from us, and then you own it, and then we go away. So so you know very different kind of a concept, but but it basically ends up solving this problem for homeowners in that they can't finance it now, but they can probably finance it later. We get it built, they begin to make money on it, and then can solve it later. Obviously, for us, that then means that, that that we need to finance it on our end because we're the ones who are paying to build it, and so we've we've done that with with a part of our portfolio here in Portland, um, and we try we're and 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 we now want to do 
kind of another round of these units. And so we're, we're raising money through a, through, you know, what people generally think of as a crowdfunding campaign, but it, but it, as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a regulated offering. So the, the SEC, the, the federal government agency that regulates these things has put forth in the past few years, regulations that, that, that allow for everyday people to be investors in these kind of things. Before that, it was, it was only allowed for, for accredited investors, they called, or people, right, right. high net worth folks. So, so, so now you have a series of regulations that allow companies like ours to put out an offering and, and, and anyone who's over the age of 18 can invest. Um, and, and so we're, we're utilizing this mechanism to raise money uh, to, to develop eight more ADUs that will be built here in Portland, will provide affordable rental housing for, for, for people here and provide income um, uh, you know, to, to, um, to homeowners. And the reason why we've gone this route, which is what you asked, is, yeah. is um, you know, we think this is, this is a, a fairly straightforward uh, type of development deal we 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 think that it it you know makes sense adus have value they rent out all the stuff but when you go to traditional lenders or you go to traditional investors and say hey here's what we're doing it it just it looks different and uh, than what they're used to seeing whether it be in bank or whether it be a you know kind of you know um, people and real estate investors who invest in apartment buildings or office buildings um and so and so we've you know we've had a hard time convincing traditional lenders to do this. Um, but we know that there's strong support for this at, from all, all different corners. And, and we've had actually a, a fair number of people reach out to us over the past few years saying, Hey, how do we invest in this? This is a great idea. I really like the concept of ADUs. So, so, so we've, we just said, Hey, let's, this is probably the, the right time to, to make use of this new tool. And, um, we're working with, uh, with an established uh, crowdfunding platform that focuses on impact real estate deals. It's called small change. Um, What's the, the, for for those at home, uh, again, this is meant to mostly be sort of interesting, but uh, for people who are interested, what's the URL to check your stuff out? It's smallchange.co. If you go to the small change website, they have, uh, they have a projects tab and you can find us. uh, The name of our project is affordable ADUs. Um, so you can see there, but you can also see kind of generally what they do. They have a whole portfolio of projects that they support and anyone who goes to that website can go and click on our project. They can read all about our project and then they can download what's called a disclosure packet, but it really is this, this, uh, this, this document that the federal right. government requires for you to, for, for these things to say, here's, here's, here's what we're offering and all the different economics there, but it also outlines all the risks and anything like any other investment offering would do so that it, it is treated in, in a way that, that people can fully understand the, the risks and rewards of that. Um, uh, but we do, we think it's powerful. You know, we think that, that, you know, um, you know, for every high net worth individual out there who's, in, you know, people go after there are hundreds of thousands of regular people who have smaller amounts of money to invest that, share the same values or maybe even maybe even have values that are more aligned with their communities and and you know up until now they haven't been able to put their money to work in these kind of projects and 
and now they can. And we, and we really do think that's, that's one of the main appeals to this is, is it's a project with financial return, but it's, but it's absolutely something that is tangible and visible in your community. And obviously on the West coast here, you know, ADUs are a big deal. People, you know, it's hard to talk to anybody who doesn't know somebody who has an ADU or sees one on their block. And so we really do feel like, you know, it's, it's that classic thing, invest in what you know, or, you know, what you care about. And I think this is, um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think it's very cool. I, so I, I want to get into this uh, a bit and get a little dark. And by the way, so structure wise, um, I'm gonna yeah ask questions and say stuff. Please interrupt me when I'm wrong. But like like I'm a like a like whatever you want to call it, limited partner in a couple of real estate funds, and it looks like the structure of your offering is very similar, right? Like a preferred return, meaning you get X percent back per year before, right? Like management quote unquote gets anything, and then um, right there's some kind of split of the excess proceeds. Um, what so so that all made like that seemed like very similar to these other investments that are pretty common uh what i sort of had a question of is if we wanted to walk through like an individual property um and i think it said 25 percent of proceeds go to the homeowner so let's say we put one of these uh boxes on you, you can name the price on you know someone's lawn in portland do you think you can kind of walk walk us through like how what happens from there, like how much revenue you expect to collect sort of what goes to property management just, and then like kind of right. Sort of, I don't know if the waterfall is the right word, but like it, then like how that those distributions end up getting split out. Yeah. So I, there, I can, I, so there's certain things you can and can't do. And, and, yeah. and part of being a regulated offering is you can't like, I can't sit here now and talk about the returns oh, on you, the project. So people can people can oh, go yeah, yeah. and download the disclosure packet and they can right. see all that. Um, it, some, some of this is, 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 is to make sure that, that, that I don't sit here and selectively share information, or it, whether it's intentional or unintentional. So the disclosure packet is meant to be all-encompassing. So somebody who sees the returns projected on that sees all the other risks, but, but I can, I can walk you through the economics of a unit. So I can Perfect. do that. Cause that's, that has nothing to do with the offering. It's no. business. So, so, um, so yeah. So when we put a unit in the ground, um, uh, and let's set aside the cost of it, but you know, once again, we aim for predictable cost on these. So, but, um, we are targeting rents and we achieve these rents here in Portland. We're targeting rents that are affordable at 80 for whole households at 80% of average median income. It's, it's a definition of affordable housing, but it basically means that, that it's, it's not deeply affordable, but, but it's affordable for somebody who makes less than, than kind of the average yeah. income. Yeah. And here in Portland for one bedroom unit, that's $1,300 a month. So, so, so we put a unit in the ground and it's a relatively strong rent, rental market. So at thirteen hundred dollars a month, there's a good chance it'll get this will get rented at that. It's that's that's a uh, like I said, it's it's uh, it's meant to be an affordable rent. And so and so when we share, so we get thirteen dollars a month. That that money comes in, and 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 we do share twenty five percent of that with the homeowner. So in that case, that's three hundred twenty five dollars. So so that homeowner gets that check every month from us. Um, and then in addition, you know, if, if we have shared utilities, things like that, we could spend a long time talking about that topic, but sometimes you can, 
you can have separately metered utilities. Sometimes you just, you're sharing yeah. utilities with the house, but we'll reimburse them for any cost associated with that. Um, and then, and then the rest of that, that money flows back to us. So that's, you know, it's a little under a thousand dollars. And then, yeah, we pay, we pay a property manager, typically property managers in, you know, uh, five or 10% or something. It's between eight and 10% is a pretty standard, yep. pretty standard number. Um, we, we have to pay for our own, you know, um, maintenance repairs. You know, when you, when anybody who's owned any kind of rental housing, there's there's certain formula around it. You're setting aside reserves for long term, yep. for, for long term uh, repairs that you have. You know, expense whenever a unit turns over. People who don't pay rent, all that kind of stuff. And then the last thing is we pay property taxes as well. So it's another interesting feature of this is that we break out the property tax bill on the property because we own this unit. And so if, if we own it, right. then we assume the property tax liability associated with that improvement, the rest of the property, um, that bill goes to the homeowner. So we pay that as well. And so, you know, most cases we end up with um, about, you know, 55% of, of the overall rent dropping to us, to the, yep. the bottom line. And then, and then that's how we then, have money to pay back any debt or whatever like that's 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 the 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 pot of money that's available for for how we finance any any one of our deals so that's the basic economics and so you can imagine that the the more rent you earn you know the more money there is the less rent you earn. the the the, that makes sense and this offering is essentially what's happening that you have some kind of like terms or whatever from your manufacturer you know you're just kind of loaning money from to yourself from your balance sheet and you're essentially paying that back with the uh the money from the investors um is that how this is work is that how the structure works or the way it's set up is that the investment dollars are coming in as as equity and paying for the for the units. Um, I see. So, okay. so it's not so, right. okay. So the units no, don't get started yeah. until there's no yeah. There's no there's no um, there's no financing by the there's no debt on this. No, I see. Paying for that and um, and then yeah, as you mentioned, I can we can say like you get, there is a preferred return paid and then right. there's a there's a um, a distribution of 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 the after yeah. that. So. Yep. That makes sense. And then in terms of, so, and I've actually seen, um, happy to <laughs> try to be helpful if I can on this. Um, I've seen like a few sort of companies like yours starting to raise, um, actually like kind of debt capital to do similar types of things from, uh, sort of, I would call them like kind of alternative or specialized lenders. I'm sure you've probably had conversations with some of those. Um, I do see, I think the cost of capital ends up being kind of high, right? Um, sort of, I'd probably say like 10 to 13, 10 to 15% range, meaning that's the sort of annualized return that the investors are getting on this. Um, so I think a lot of those deals are happening in California where you might get a little bit more rent um, from like, you know, the building, which might kind of enable that. I'm not positive if you could afford to do that just based on Portland having slightly lower rents than like, Right in San Jose, you might get three thousand dollars for a, a similar kind of unit in the Bay Area. Um, I guess so. I guess sort of part, part of the question is: uh, is there is there is the reason that you primarily and I, I'm sure all the stuff sort of on the roadmap did this now uh, just because this this made more sense for your market? 
or um, yeah, I think it's you guys right now. I think anybody who's trying to do this ground lease or some similar structure is trying to find their way in the finance world. Yeah, and so I think everybody's trying something to see if it works. I would, I would hesitate to say that anyone's figured out a solution. For, right. the, for the financing side, but but you're you're exactly right. So that if you're sitting in California and for the same unit, and maybe the cost of building the unit's a little higher, but definitely higher. It's coming yeah. from the same factory, just for the simplicity of conversation. Totally right. You can have the same same unit earning different amounts. You you have a different kind of return to play with. I think that when we looked at our portfolio that we had developed here in Portland and we saw what, how they were performing and we saw, you know, most importantly, the rents that we were naturally achieving, which were ended up being affordable for us. We said, you know, um, we actually, what we're, what we're doing here is we're creating a portfolio of affordable housing. So, um, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, if there were investors out there looking for this double digit return, um, then that may not be the best fit for for where we are. Um, uh, but but and and looking at the flip side is we 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 said you know we think there probably are a lot of people who who and from a lot of stuff. And once again, it's not you know without getting into specifics on the returns and the offering, but it's not like you know it's 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 kind of in a range where where it kind of marries this this. Um, uh, we're, 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 we're having an impact. We're building affordable housing. Like, like this is really contributing to the solution here, but at the same time, it's not a charity, right? So, no, it's like so, a so I think that's where we're, that's the balance we're striking, but it, that, but it all starts from, as you said, we, we were creating a portfolio like this, uh, you know, anyway. So, so, so let's take, let's take that and, 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 and use it as a way to, to, uh, to attract um, the invest investment from folks who care about this. So, so I want to get into one more part of this um, and then I'll stop getting so um, dorky on the stuff, but I'm, I find this all really interesting. Um, so one of the things that I think is different about this and very similar to other real estate deals, but potentially different to a lot of all their alternative stuff, assuming this is actually valid, right? Is this is essentially a secured investment, <laughs> meaning theoretically, right? Like, if the fine whatever like the person the property dies or like some like something uh, like i mean the person who owns the whole thing dies right theoretically right like you uh, you own this box in their property um but like that's actually the area where when i've talked to other investors they've had the most kind of like i'd say legal wariness about this um i'm sure you've had a lot more conversations about this than i have so can you just walk me through the sort of catastrophic scenario where the homeowner of the piece of land that's getting leased to you for whatever reason. I mean, I think death is honestly like a very realistic one um, in terms of like, Oh wow. Now what do we do? Um, But, or goes bankrupt or whatever. And uh, all of a sudden they like have a bank who's potentially foreclosing on their main property. Um, How does that work with uh, your arrangement? Yeah, I, um, 
I mean, I never, we don't think about it in so in such dramatic terms. We no, think right. about like, it like, 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 but like, yeah, but we, we think about it as default. So, There's some so, kind of financial stress event. Yeah. So, 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 you know, a certain percentage of, of homeowners will default on their mortgages and it, things can go into different stages. Some of them get worked out. Some of them go into foreclosure. Right. right, right. So that's the scenario that, that, that you, you're, you, you need to account for. And in that, in that situation, you know, we are like uh, other second mortgage holders. We're not. Okay. We're not. So you're basically we a second. Own a second. We don't have a second mortgage on the property, but but the first mortgage holder drives drives the train on that in these situations. So so if a homeowner defaults, um, what we're really saying is they're defaulting on the first mortgage. The first mortgage holder then is going to exercise their rights and try and collect, and they can do that in a variety of different ways. We will go along with whatever that process is. And what we say to, to homeowners in particular is, look, you know, without this ADO on your property and without the income that we're providing, whatever trouble you're in, it's worse right. because you don't have this extra income. And, right. and, 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 and if we're in a situation in which this homeowner needs extra income to help get current or, or, or you know, to correct a, um, some kind of deficiency, you know, we've got rental income to work with here. So, so, so we, we, we say we're part of the solution in these situations. Um, and, and so, so yeah, so, so we, so we see those scenarios being more like for those of us with a little bit of a lending background workouts rather than defaults or foreclosures. Um, uh, you know, we don't, the, the, if you, you know, the, our situation is is somewhat similar to the solar industry. I'm not sure if you've ever gotten into this topic, but, not, but, this but the solar industry grew primarily because <clears throat> the solar companies figured out that they could right. install oh, solar right. panels on people's people's properties without selling them the panels. That they would actually own the panels and they would have a kind of a power sharing arrangement. But essentially, they the the homeowner was was um, um, sharing revenue from the power that was generated there, and that's how the solar companies pay themselves back. That's Those companies had to had to defend the rights to their collateral if a homeowner went into foreclosure, and they successfully did that. So that's where we would be. In the worst case scenario, is we would have to go in and say, "Look, we we own this ADU, and and we understand the property has to be sold or whatever." But but and, and we're willing to work through that, but. But the ADU is still ours, and we're gonna um, right. we're gonna work with you and the next homeowner, you know, to keep this going. Or so if you, if you sell the property, you know, you can right. buy us out, and then the whole property is free. So so, that only, so does that mean you do some kind of financial underwriting of the uh, borrower, right? Because right, like I totally understand, right? Like if they're at even if they're at an LTV that a bank might not love, right? Let's say they're at an, like a loan to value. Um, meaning for all of us at home, right? Like the value of the mortgage on their home is close to hundred percent. I understand that like theoretically, right. You're adding equity to their home by, you know, put or right. Like yeah. your income is a positive th- thing and potentially like having this arrangement is a positive thing because you're driving income in the property. Right. If uh, someone is though at like 120%, uh, right. Like which, I guess we'll see what happens in this sort of current cycle, but you know, I'm sure there are areas that are going to be negatively affected from real estate side though. You know, I have no idea if Portland or 
wherever's going to be one of them. Um, if someone's for whatever reason at a like kind of a LTV that's greater than 100% or greater than 90%, will you still work with that person or is there some kind of like underwriting on the properties right now? Um, we don't, we don't underwrite homeowners the way that like a bank would, right? So, right. you know, we, 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 we actually don't want to do that. That's part of why we're offering this is to get homeowners away, you know, out of that process. But we do want to make sure we're not, we're not, you know, entering into or, or installing into a foreclosure situation. So we look for delinquent delinquencies and, and delinquent property taxes and things like that to make sure so that, like, like, that like the homeowner, right. And, 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 and we do some, some brief kind of credit history check, but, but it's not meant to be like, you have to have a minimum score. It's more about, do we see any warning signs on there that would predict some kind of foreclosure or default scenario in which we're immediately working um, in, in those kind of, that kind of environment, you know, we we understand that homeowners, you know, if 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 you if you hear the stories that homeowners have about about getting home equity loans for ADUs, the the gauntlet that they have to run is significant. And so yeah. so part of the reason why we're not seeing more ADUs built is because this this window is so tight. And so we're trying to 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 expand that window on very solid properties <clears throat> with great income potential and just kind of your average homeowners. Most cases, in most cases, the issues that we have with homeowners that we work with, their financing challenges that they're they're not 120%, but they're at 85 or 90% LTV, which is a typical kind of first time or or early home buyer who's who's didn't have a lot to put down and they're yeah. kind of working their way. That makes um, sense. Down. Banks so that's typically our profile there. Right. It's not. It's not somebody who's massively over leveraged or whatnot. Got it. Because banks will typically, from my understanding, give you. And honestly, I we help people a bit with this a bit. Um, but like, right, like they'll give you home equity up to like seventy percent of the cost of the value of the property, maybe a little higher. Banks um, will give you a hundred percent. Some banks, some credit unions will lend you a hundred percent. But the problem is that that the ADU. Um, you know, unless you're sitting on a lot of equity, the ADU still costs more than that. So, right. Um, so the, the big challenge in, in just to just to quickly dive into that, the big challenge with home equity lending uh, for ADUs is that is that lenders should be giving the homeowner full credit for the for at least the cost of the ADU right. that building when they make them a loan and they don't. They and it's not the lenders; it's appraisers can't do it. Right. There's a whole chain of of things that are preventing the the lender from doing that, but essentially, you know, a homeowner who's trying to put a hundred and fifty thousand dollar ADU on their property might be getting half credit for that, and so unless they're sitting on a big chunk of equity to start, they're just not going to get there. And so, so you know, aggressive home equity lenders are going to say, "Look, we, we're making you a very attractive, you know, home equity loan, and it's only a hundred thousand dollars, right?" So. So the lender thinks they're doing their job, but it just doesn't get the homeowner to the finish line on an ADU, and so they're stuck, right? It's and so this is a homeowner who's got equity in their property, qualify for the loan, but they just can't get to the to the dollar amount they need to get an ADU project done. That makes sense. That's interesting. Um, it, almost, it almost makes me feel like 
and I guess this like there's a need for like kind of almost like mezzanine financing. I haven't honestly thought about this um, as a solution before for if like, if it's actually like you can get partway there, but not all the way, like, <laughs> can we get like, I mean, it is a form of mezzanine financing, but I mean, and I don't want to scare people away from this. I think it's a very uh, conservative form of mezzanine financing in that, totally. in that, you know, I'm basically somebody's putting money into, into a, uh, into an asset that generates income, right? So we, we do think ADU financing in general has a lot of really solid kind of risk characteristics to it. Um, yeah. It just structurally doesn't match the way that that other that lenders have done business. And so I think that's why it's, it's, it's not, you know, we're, we're not seeing the type of products that we need. I, I mean, we'll get there. I, I'm convinced yeah, yeah. because the market's, market's, too big and and like I said, the economics are there. So someone's going to yeah, figure it out. In it seems way. like like legally, there's a bunch of stuff brewing uh, that also um, will enable this. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, at least it, like like we've done some stuff in California where you can kind of hack it with like tenancy and common arrangements that like lender like basically sort of subdividing without technically subdividing, which I, I guess kind of what you guys are doing. Um, yeah, you can you can create a condominium on a property. Exactly. Yeah, there's exactly. other ways to get around it. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, it should be a homeowner should be able to, to get an ADU loan, right? Um, based on the future, based income. on the, the the kind of the characteristics of the of the property and the and the ADU project and the and the rental income and and that should be the driving force. Yeah. Um, okay, so I uh, we usually do a fire round, but I think we're going to skip that because we've gone so deep in this. But I have one. Um, one other question uh, sort of related to this, uh, which is, uh, so we, I think we had uh, sort of a Portland AD, a different Portland ADU expert on the podcast um, recently. Um, um, what's his name? Cole Peterson, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he was talking about all Portland's new ADU laws that will hopefully be passing soon, um, which sounded really interesting, um, which it sounds like include the ability to write, build bigger units. Um so I guess when we're sort of thinking through, right, like what is your objective as a company, right? Which it sounds like is, you know, create affordable housing opportunities, but also, right, like enable returns for a bunch of other sort of different parts of this like ecosystem, like the capital side of the ecosystem, right? To enable these alternative financing mechanisms. Does that move the needle for you um, in this? And is that something you're exploring? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> I think um, I think it's all good. I I I think it just it creates a, a, a kind of more of a continuum of different housing types that can be added, and and so you know you, more properties come into play. You know, so we, when we would go to a property originally, we would look for a number of things <clears throat> and to, to make it eligible and. And so if, if I went to a property that was already a duplex, then we couldn't do it. Or if I went to a property where they had the basement as an apartment, I couldn't do anything. And so you're just bringing more, more properties into play. And then with the, the ability to do one to four units on a property, it's, it, it just creates more kind of more combinations that can work. Um, we're still going to be doing um, kind of the same ADU projects that we do. Yeah. Um, so it, it'll add incrementally for us. It won't fundamentally change what we do, 
but I do believe that it creates, you know, a whole, you know, set of market opportunities for builders to, you know, it, it, I mean, I just think about the single family homes going to be turned into duplexes. The economics are just going to be there. Right. We have all these single family homes in, in neighborhoods in Portland and, um, you know, like even my own, I sit here and think, can I make this a duplex? So, so I, I think you're going to see that. I think you're just, it's going to be the infill housing market's going to be far more robust. And I think you're going to see both more builders come into it. And I think you're going to probably see more standardized solutions. I'm, I'm not sure what that looks like, but you know, not every job should be a custom job. How do you, how do you have standardized solutions for homeowners who want to add an extra unit on their property without it being like a, you know, a detached ADU. So, so, I, so it's all obviously very positive. Um, <clears throat> I think for us, we, you know, instead of thinking about how more de- how much more deeply we can go in the Portland market, we, we, we really want to be able to offer our ground lease product in other markets. So I, yeah. I, I'd like to see us offering this product in Seattle or parts of California or, you know, other, other markets. Um, we get inquiries all the time for, for that kind of, of a solution. And, um, and so, and so that's really where we see ourselves going is, is into other markets. Um, you know, we'll always be able to, to kind of, to have demand here in Portland, but we, we the demand in some respects is greater, um, is greater elsewhere. And, and that's when you know, I mentioned working with other builders, you know, we could easily work with other builders, other markets and, and really just be bringing the ground lease solution to those markets. That makes total sense. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for indulging in my, uh, my dumb questions. Um, I think what you're doing is really cool. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you that the more, uh, ways uh, we can make it for people to uh, afford these types of uh, projects, the better. Um, okay. So for everyone, um, if you want to learn more, uh, dweller.com is a good place to learn more. Uh, smallchange.co is another good place to um, learn more. And uh, you can always visit us at prefabreview.com. Um, Patrick, thanks again. I really appreciate all the time. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. I, I appreciate you. Uh, you featuring us on, on your podcast. No problem.